Welcome to the Cornerstone Vineyard Weekly Message Podcast. We are enthusiastic about all ages pursuing, experiencing, and having an authentic relationship with Jesus, others, and our community. Join us as we open God's Word and seek His direction in our lives. If you want to grab a Bible, you can turn to Nehemiah chapter 6. Nehemiah chapter 6, that's where we are going to land eventually. There are Bibles spread around the auditorium underneath your chairs. You can grab one of those as well if you'd like. Uh, you're also welcome to use your smartphone as well. Uh, remember, we are live on the YouVersion Bible app. So if you have the YouVersion Bible app, you open that up. You click more live events, search Cornerstone Vineyard Church. All the points and scriptures and all that kind of stuff will be there uh, for you as well. And to get us started today, I want to start by bringing up on the screen a memory uh, that came across my Facebook from something I shared probably about a year ago. And I don't have the actual post, but what the post actually said. So the post said this. It said, if you live in a pastor's home, you have the right to remain silent. Anything you say or do may be used in a sermon illustration. And uh, so I just want to start out today by, uh, that is so true, and I just want to say thank you to my family, my son, my daughters, and my wife uh, for letting me use them all the time in sermon illustrations. And uh, the reason I start with that is because this morning is no different. I'm going to start out today and actually talk to you about one of my family members, and it's my youngest, my amazing daughter, Eden. Uh, this is a picture of Eden, and uh, Eden just got her hair cut like that, and she's so stinking cute, right? Um, and so uh, you, many of you know Eden. Uh, and, and you know that Eden is witty. Eden is uh, very funny. She's super fun. Um, and, and I said first service, uh, many of you know she's very much like me. My mom said, uh, this is payback for your childhood, right? Those kind of things, right? Um, and so we are, very, we are two peas, Eden and I. We are uh, very high energy, those kind of things. But what you may not know about Eden is that Eden is actually super creative. Super creative. Uh, she loves to create. She loves to create crafts. She loves to create stories, create games. Uh, just the other night, Elijah came down from being upstairs after we put Eden to bed, and he goes, Dad, Eden's just like talking to herself. <laughs> And she was just playing this scenario up in her head and it was way that she was gonna tell herself a story to go to sleep. I mean, she's just super, super creative and we absolutely love Eden and we love that about her. Uh, we don't know what God's gonna do with her, but we know it's gonna be something amazing. And, uh, and so recently she has been enjoying creating or should I say taking photos here at the church. Um, some of you have probably seen her around the church uh, taking photos. A uh, gentleman here at the church, his name is John Vey. John uh, started allowing her to take around his camera and take pictures. Some of them we've actually used in our social media even, and she, so she's actually pretty good at it, even at 10 years old, okay? And so uh, for Christmas, we decided, you know what? Eden's kind of, she's really getting this kind of photography bug. Let's, uh, let's buy her a camera. So we bought her this camera right here. It's a really nice one. It's got like the whole nice zoom thing and everything and all of that. So it's a very nice camera. And uh, so she, you can see Eden around here. She actually had her camera around taking pictures this morning. She's around the house taking pictures, all those kinds of things. And so um, she's really kind of pressing into this newfound creativity. Um, and so it's been super cool for us to see and it's been exciting. But uh, we've, we found that as Eden's kind of gotten started over the last month or so, is that um, many of her photos, we realized, were coming out a little bit blurry. 
Um, essentially, without getting uh, too much too technical on you, uh, what was happening is that Eden um, was not letting the camera focus enough, not waiting enough. Again, I told you she was kind of like me. So she's like, just ready to go to the next thing, you know, that kind of thing, right? Um, so she wasn't standing there waiting long enough, letting the camera focus before she'd move on to the next shot. And so we've been talking over the last few weeks to say, hey, babe, it, for, for you to get the, um, the pictures that you desire, the, some good photos, you need to kind of work, work on your focus, Right? And so I thought about Eden this week as I began to work on the teaching um, because uh, just like she needs to work on her focus to get good photos, folks, where we're heading today and what we're going to talk about over our time together is that if we want the life that we're looking for, if we want a good life, like a good photo, we have to work on our focus, like Eden's been having to work on her focus with her camera. Because focus, right, and we would all agree with this, focus is really important. A couple of scriptures, Proverbs 4, 25 and 26 says, let your eyes look straight ahead, fix your gaze directly before you, give careful thought to, your, to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. That is a verse about focus. Philippians 4, 8, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Focus on those things. Those kinds of things, zero in on them, just bring some focus. You see, focus is really kind of important. Because when we do so, when we focus, a, a good and even a great end result is possible in your life and my life. So like Eden's photos, a, a good or a great day, a great week, a great life is possible when we focus. Now, so that's what we're going to dive into today. And so I want you to hold that thought. We are ending a series today here at the church called Leadership Lean In. Keys to being an everyday front runner. And what we're doing in this series and what we've been doing uh, is through the story of Nehemiah, through the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament, we're exploring four leadership principles that we see in Nehemiah and his leadership as he has rebuilt the walls of, around Jerusalem. Okay, basically his keys to being a good leader. And, uh, and these principles have not just, as we've seen over the last few weeks, have not just applied to leadership, but kind of the entirety of our lives. And I think today won't be any different. And so our, today, uh, our lesson today is going to be about staying and being focused and uh, what's possible, the good stuff that's possible when we live a life of focus. And so let's take a look at the text. It comes from Nehemiah chapter 6. Uh, and in this chapter, we see Nehemiah coming to near the end of the rebuilding of the walls. And uh, it says in Nehemiah 6.1, it says, when word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Jeshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though at that time I had not set the doors in the gates, Sanballat and Jeshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the, lane, on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. Then the fifth time, Sambalat said, sent his aid to me with the same message, and in his hand was an unsealed letter, in which was written, It is reported among the nations, and Jeshem says it is true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king and even have appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you. In Jerusalem, there is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king, so come, let us meet together. I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your head. 
They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. And then I'm gonna tack on verse 15. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. So the title of our talk this weekend is Leadership Lean In, Leaning into being zeroed in, essentially living a life of focus, leaning into living a life of focus. And what we're going to do today is we're going to dig deep and explore uh, two keys to doing just that, to living a life of focus. And again, I think we'll find it very helpful, uh, practical today as we end this series. So before we uh, jump in too deep, let me pause and pray, and then I'll give you a couple things to write down and think about. So let's pray. So Father... Thank you, thank you, thank you for giving us an opportunity to uh, be together and to know that you are with us and that we get a chance to worship you. And so now, God, as we turn our attention to, um, to this text and ultimately um, to figuring out how to live a life of focus, I pray that you would do something supernatural among us that only you can do in this place. That you would, you would give us something, God, in our lives, some skill, some, some revelation, some encouragement. Um, maybe even some challenge that maybe we didn't have when we came in the door today, but you will plant that in us and it will change our lives on the outside of this room. God, we want to honor you with with this time and so we give it to you. So it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, we have two points today. Here's your first one. You can write this in. Leaning uh, Leaning into a life of focus takes regularly assigning priority. Regularly assigning priority. See this in the text in verse 3. Nehemiah 6.3 says, So I sent messengers to them with this reply, I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? And so what I see from that is I say, Nehemiah basically says to them this. He says, hey, like I'm doing something here. It's kind of a big deal. It's kind of a really big deal. And so um, uh, he kind of knew what his priority was. Rebuilding the wall. And essentially he was telling them that that was what was going to take precedence. Uh, basically saying to them at the second part of that verse, he's kind of and says to them in comparison, hey, in comparison, you're actually not that important to what the big project that God has me on right now. See, right? He, he says, why should the work stop just to meet with you? See, Nehemiah, he, he was focused. And I think it's a great lesson to take from him uh, really uh, and ponder in our life and in our leadership to regularly assess in your life and my life what is and what has or what should be taking precedence in our life. Because I, I don't know about you, but I, I think sometimes it's really easy in life just to go about and do life. Maybe do our leadership, like put our head down, right? Go to work, go home, repeat. Go, to home, go, go home, go work, go home. Like we just, we just do this life thing. And we put our head down, we just task oriented, we go after and we go, man, I'm just working for the weekend. I'm just working for that next vacation. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just. And sometimes we can, we never slow down enough to really assess what, what's taking really, what's taking precedence in our life. What's become our priority? What's become our focus? There's a, a, a pastor in Atlanta, um, his name's Andy Stanley. Many of you may know Andy, but he's the lead pastor of uh, North Point Church in Atlanta, Georgia. And I found a quote from him this week. He once said this. He said, you can bring it up. We don't drift in good directions. We discipline and prioritize ourselves there. I think that's good. We don't drift in good directions, right? When we drift, we we tend to drift into bad directions. But if we want good directions, we discipline and prioritize ourselves there. I think that's true. There's discipline and there's priority. 
If we, like Eden and her pictures, don't take the time to slow down and assign priority, how many of you know we're going to drift in directions that uh, maybe in our lives and leadership-wise that really we, we probably never even would ever try to consider for our life? Drifting is really easy. It's like when you're on uh, the beach, and we've all been there, right? When you're in the water and you're playing, maybe throwing a football, those kind of things, and then 20 minutes later, you realize you drifted all the way down the shore and you guys are way, right? Your stuff's all the way down the beach. It's easy to do, drift. There's actually um, a hashtag that's kind of become famous over the last couple of years that I started to think about when I got to this point in my message prep. And if you have no idea what a hashtag is, that's okay. You don't have to know. It's a social media thing, okay? Uh, but there, but this, whole, this, this, um, this social media hashtag is this. You can bring it up. Is stay woke. Anybody ever heard of stay woke? Raise your hand if you know what it is. Okay, a couple of people. Uh, pretty much only anybody under the age of 20 just raising their hand. Okay. Um, it's okay. Uh, that's all right. I didn't know what it was for a while either. Okay. But essentially, if you don't know, uh, this, this, this hashtag means this. It, stay woke means staying awake and, and, and aware to the social injustices that are among us in our culture. Okay. Um, basically, figuring, knowing what's going on and not only knowing what's going on, being active in the process of fighting injustice and doing something about it. Okay. So it means to stay woke to that stuff. And so I started, started to think about stay woke this week as I was thinking, folks, we need to stay woke, you and me. We need to have an awareness of what we're fighting for in our relationships, in our, in our friendships, in our leadership. Stay awake to what's really most important. Staying awake to, to that day, that week, that month, that year. And, and staying awake in, in our roles as, as parents. Staying woke in our roles as spouses and students and teachers and friends, employees and leaders, followers of Jesus, and really in general in our life, not fall asleep to what's most important. Because again, it's easy just to kind of just do this thing, right? Go to work, go home, sleep, get up, do it again. Go to work, go to sleep. You know, we just, we just do this over. It's just easy just to keep our head down. How many of you know the Bible calls us sheep? You know why we're called sheep? Because sometimes it's just easy to eat the grass and then end up in a bad place. I think this is uh, something we all know, and, and we all know this, right? We all know that life is short, right? We all know that life is short. I think, actually, we were all kind of reminded of that this week um, as uh, I think we've seen probably the largest outpouring of grief that I have ever seen publicly uh, with the passing of Kobe Bryant and his daughter Gianna and the other seven passengers that died on the helicopter this last Sunday. If you were around at all, it was everywhere. It was in the news. It was on every newspaper. It was on every magazine. It was everything online, everywhere. It was just everywhere. And I think we've realized that, um, I think it's woke people up to the reality is, and we all know it, but we forget it, is that life is short. And so because life is short, we need to make the most of, most of what we have. And staying focused, folks, uh, it, it, what's priority, what needs, to be, what needs to take precedence, that's an important piece of that piece of life and understanding that life is short. Which if you don't know really um, what is, should be the most priority, the, the biggest thing in our lives, uh, Jesus tells us that in Matthew 22, uh, verse 37 through 39. Jesus says this, it says, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So, folks, what it boils down to in this life, if we want to stay woke, if we want to stay to the priority and the focus that we really need in life, we have to do two things, love God and love people. Love God and love people. 
If we first and foremost will give our lives back to the creator of the universe, listening to the Holy Spirit while we do it and love people while we're doing it as well, man, you and I, our, our lives will remain focused. They will not be out of focus. In the last um, week or so, uh, maybe two weeks, my family has uh, come, become a little obsessed with a really popular song that's on the radio right now. And um, so I started to think about that this week as I got to this point in the message and this idea of priority and loving God and loving people. And so the title of the song, it's a little bit weird, but the title is called The Bones. And it's by an artist called Marin Morris. And I want you to take a listen uh, to a portion of this song today. And I think you'll hear why it's become such an obsession in our family, as well as why it has relevance to our conversation today. So listen to this. line of that chorus says this. We'll bring it up on the screen. It says, the house don't fall when the bones are good. Now, I know it's not grammatically correct. Some of you English teachers are going freaking out right now, right? But I heard that song for the very first time about a week and a half ago, and I was like, oh man, is that not true? When the when the, when, right, what it says, when the house don't, the house don't fall when the bones are good. Folks, listen, when the bones are good, when our priority is loving God and loving people, those are the bones, right? When they're good, see that, that's our focus. See how the house won't fall. The areas that we lead, they won't fall. Sure, there will be mistakes and sure that things won't go exactly according to plan, but man, uh, likely what's gonna happen, they won't break apart. So folks, in, in your life and my life, uh, when, when, the, when the bones are good, the, the rest don't matter. When, when the, the house, right, the house won't fall when the bones are good. So for you if, you're, if you're loving God and you're loving people, then your marriage probably likely won't break apart. Your friendships won't crumble. Our lives will avoid crisis when the bones are good. See, because when things begin to crumble, which you, many of you know this, when things begin to crumble is when we take our eyes off the creator of the universe and we go our own way, Amen. We need to have the bones be good. Matthew 6, 33 says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. See, when we fully, not just partially, when we fully give our lives back to the creator of the universe and love people when we're doing it, folks, I'm telling you, our lives will be way more focused. I don't know about you, but even in my life, when I know when my life loses focus, I can guarantee you I've probably looked away from Jesus in some way or another. 
Now beyond that, right, because there's another piece of this, beyond getting that straight first, if, I think the other part of it is if we slow down and we're intentional about regularly ass- assigning priority, which is this point, right, and letting God help us assess, right, because if he's our priority, letting him help us assess what's important that day, what's important that week, I, I too think that our lives will be way more focused. Because he'll, he'll ch- show us the path, right? He'll, he'll figure out what things we should be letting go of or, or not worrying about or not pursuing as well as the things we should really chase after, press, in, press into it and go, go with everything we've got. I was actually reminded uh, this week of, of the story of Mary and Martha in Luke, uh, Luke's gospel. Where it says, I think uh, in, in the story, if you know it, I think Mary did just that. She took a look around and had the right focus, her Right? Like if you kind of go with that, that song, right? The bones were good. But Martha, on the other hand, not so much. Okay, it says in Luke 10, starting in verse 3, it says, As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. You see, one of them had it right. It was Mary. Mary had it right. She knew what was priority and she took that as her focus. You see, focus, folks, it is important. Focus is super important. Now, I don't think that this is always easy, right? I don't think it's always easy in our life. It's easy to get distracted in different relationships and all those kinds of things. But, but I do think it's something worth striving for, having focus. Creating habits in our life in doing so. Having some mechanisms in place, if you will. Uh, some way of funneling our priorities. The big ones, the small ones, everything in between. And whether for you, that's, that's setting a calendar reminder on your, on your phone to go off to say, hey, make, make sure you pray about that. Or make sure you pray about today. Or maybe you're doing life with, with a friend or a family member who's, who's got enough clout and, and equity in your life that they can call you out on something and say, hey, that's probably not a good idea. Hey, or you know what? You should be doing that. Or maybe that you have a regular meeting with an accountability partner or a mentor. I would highly recommend that. But we gotta have some mechanism to funnel our priorities. It's something I think that Nehemiah did in the midst of our text. And I think it's something to emulate. So here's a question for us to consider, and you can actually write this in on your handout. Question is this, what focus funnel do I have in my life? What focus funnel do I have, do you have in my life, in your life? What, what are your focus funnels, folks? What, what are the things, what are the mechanisms that you have in place that are going to help you realize what your focus ought to remain to be and what things that you're just going to get distracted by? I think this is a good question, again, because it's easy, again, to do life, do leadership, kind of keep our head down, right? Just press towards the weekend, the vacation, the whatever, all those kinds of things. It's easy to do, and we need mechanisms in place. Because otherwise, we're going to be in a place where what's going to take precedence and what's going to take priority, what's going to take our focus are going to be things that are going to just derail us. They're going to derail you. They're going to derail your marriage. They're going to derail your, your work. They're going to derail your relationship with your kids your own rest, your own peace, whatever that is, it's gonna just derail us if we don't have those mechanisms. So that's point number one, leaning into a life of focus takes regular assigning, regular assigning priority. Second thing, I already touched on this a little bit already, leaning into a life of focus takes saying no. 
text saying no. Notice that I put those in two caps, right? N-O, saying no. Uh, back in the text, the second half of verse three says where we see this, it says, right, that Nehemiah says, I'm carrying on a great project and cannot go down. I think it's worth noting here that Nehemiah, right, said no. He said no. And actually, he said no, even when they were very persistent in asking, right, of something from him. It says in verse four, right, it says, four times they sent me the same message. And what does it say he did? And each time I gave them the same answer. See, they were quite persistent. And Nehemiah each time gave them the same no. He didn't waver. They didn't wear him down. He knew what his priority was, right, rebuilding the walls. And so the, the no remained firm. By the end of the fourth time and even the fifth time, I actually thought, man, how frustrating would that, would that have been for Nehemiah, right? And so in my head, I actually pictured Nehemiah something like this. Take a look at this video. You got the video? Please, no, 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 please, no, 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 no. All right, so. Now, many of you know, right, that's Michael Scott from The Office, right? Uh, but in my head, I'm thinking, at, at, you know, the first or maybe the second time, okay, maybe, you know, whatever. But by the third and the fourth and the fifth time, like, I'd be going, uh, excuse me, wake up, I ain't coming, no, right? And then you'd be like, M Michael Scott there in the, in the video there, right? And they even come up with some weird, crazy scenario, right? It says in, uh, that like, oh, hey, there's this thing, whatever, and you're the king, and you're going to revolt, blah, blah, blah. And Nehemiah says to them, I love this because the, the, the Bible can sometimes be humorous. Uh, Nehemiah says in 6, 8, he says, nothing like what you were saying is happening. You're just making it up out of your own head, right? And so in all, in, in all of what we see in Nehemiah is that he showcases here some pretty serious tenacity of saying no. Again, something I think is pretty noteworthy. I think especially when it comes to, for you and me, living a life of focus, folks, sometimes we just have to say no. Steve Jobs, the co-founder of Apple, is quoted actually before he passed saying this. You can bring that picture up, yeah. It says, um, focusing is about saying maybe. Right? That's not what it says, right? Focusing is about saying no. And I found this picture this week and I thought, oh, wow, this is the guy who is the co-founder of one of the most successful companies in history ever known to man. And yet he was basically saying, right, like hey, he found footing in his leadership and in his business by basically saying, no, you got to be able to say no. That's something worth noting. I, my guess is that he probably had hundreds of times a day that he could have said yes, and yet he found more footing in saying no. And if you know anything about the iPhone, right, where the iPhone has been very successful is that they didn't do what everybody else wanted them to do. He said no. So that made me think about a guy in the scripture who actually, I think, did the same thing. Um, he was somebody who said no often, and many of you know who that is, and it's a guy named Daniel. Daniel was a guy who said no a lot. Um, as a teenager, he was captured by the Babylonians and he, they, were, they took him to ba uh, Babylon and they were gonna train him in their ways. And it says in Daniel chapter one, and I'm only gonna put the references up here. You can kind of look at them on your own time this week. But it says in Daniel chapter one that Daniel refused to eat the king's meat and, and drink the king's wine because uh, he knew that it wasn't right. And even though he knew by saying no, it could have meant his life, he could have died. And yet he knew it was the right call and he said no. His no was firm. He said no also, which is probably his most famous no. Many of you probably know this story when he faced the, day, uh, the den of lions in Daniel chapter six. 
Basically, the, the king had said, you can't pray to God along, any longer. I want you only to pray to me. And Daniel knew that wasn't right. And so he said no. And it says in verse uh, 10 of chapter 6 of, of Daniel, it says, now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God, just, I love this, just as he had done before. I love that. See, just like Nehemiah, a pretty tenacious nose, three times a day, he wasn't sneaking it in. He was a guy who regularly said, no, Daniel. There's actually another recorded no from Daniel in Daniel chapter five. Again, look that up on your own time this week. But man, he was a guy who said no frequently. I think there's something to emulate about Daniel. I don't know about you, but if I lived my life like Daniel, I'm thinking I'd probably be a pretty good guy. You've probably heard this, this, uh, this saying before that um, there's, the, there's something called this, the art of saying no. You've probably heard that before, right? Has anybody heard like the art of saying no? A couple of you guys, yeah. Um, if, if you haven't heard about it, man, there are hundreds of books about it. There are podcasts about it. There's materials everywhere, all over the internet, all those kind of things. And uh, TED Talks, all that kind of stuff. And, and I actually kind of find it a little bit intriguing. Um, man, the human condition to me is very interesting because... Um, I think so, so often the human condition can put us into yes mode when often we should be saying no because what a yes is gonna do, it's only gonna split our focus. It's gonna make us uh, pursue something that we really shouldn't be pursuing or going after something or being a part of something that we really should have said no to. But yet the human condition says, hey, yeah, go ahead, say yes. I don't wanna upset anybody. So I'm actually curious. How many of you in the room, are you a people pleaser? Raise your hand, Okay. Okay, now I'm not calling you out just to go, oh, you guys stink, right? No, uh, here, here's the other thing. Those of you who just raised your hand, how many of you know, how many of you though, when you say yes, eh, maybe a week later or uh, whatever time later, you end up getting very frustrated because you said yes? Yeah, right? And if you didn't raise your hand back home, you lied, right? Those kind of things. Right? So isn't the human condition interesting? So many of us, right? We ought to be saying no, but we say yes. And then we get frustrated that we said yes. Man, it's so interesting to me the way the human condition works. Now, don't get me wrong. There obviously are times to say yes, okay? Um, but man, it's so interesting to me. And, and what I, I almost want to get on a little bit of a soapbox here this morning, folks. We are saying yes in our culture right now to more stuff than we ought to be saying yes to. We are saying yes all the time and we are busier and we are tired, more tired than we have ever been. We need to start saying no. So many of us need to go, nope, that's not, mm -mm, nope. Not gonna do that. I think if we can take a, a, a page out of Nehemiah's leadership manual and flex this muscle of no, how many of you know, folks, and, and I know this is what you desire. I desire to, we would be less tired. We would be less irritated, less frustrated, and we might actually have more fruit in our life, right? Because he said, no, he was able to finish the wall and, and get this all done, right? He had great fruit in his life. What if you actually could actually not be tired? What if you could actually get, get your house cleaned? What if you could actually enjoy a night to do a puzzle at our house with your kids because you don't have anything else to do? See, the truth is when we say yes, and you know this, we say no to something. When we say yes, we say no to something. So when we say yes to that evening meeting at work, we're saying no to our daughter's dance recital, to a date night with our spouse, to a quiet night reading a, a book. When we say yes to travel sports, we're saying no often to relaxing weekends, fam family gatherings. Often we're saying no to church. 
When we say yes to scrolling through Facebook or binging out on Netflix, we're saying no to Bible time, time in prayer, or even a nap, which is really what we really need. See, I think this is something for us folks to, today to really consider. I, I think more often we, we have some things in our lives that really just need to know. And, and, and I do think that for some of you here today, this might be the thing that could really change your life with Jesus' help in the midst of for you to be able to say no more often. Because some of you, you're just running in circles. You literally are just, you're just running all the time. And a no really could change your life. So I want you to write this statement in your handout. A nope here or there puts protective guardrails on our life. A nope here or there puts protective guardrails on our life. Folks, is what I was just talking about. Right? When we say no, then, then we have these things and it, we still have some movement in the midst of this here or there, but we have, we have things that are going to not take us off the cliff here or take us off the cliff here. I think it would be important for us to consider what things we say yes to and ultimately what things we say no to. And so as we uh, kind of close down this point this morning and really cl- kind of close down the message, uh, I'm going to actually uh, bring up my wife, Leah, here in a minute. Uh, each week we've been having one of our board members come forward and share a personal testimony for that day's topic. And uh, I had Leah uh, slated to come th- and talk to us this morning. And I think it's really an appropriate topic for her because um, uh, this whole idea of focus, we've been trying to really do a better job with that as, as a family. And then especially with this idea of saying no, something she's grown tremendously in over the last uh, couple of years. So why don't you give Leah a big round of applause as she comes and shares with us this morning. Yeah. Uh, yes, I am on. All right. Uh, so Matt assigned all of us board members like weeks ago what we were going to be. And when he told me my topic was about saying no, I literally laughed out loud um, because I, I used to be super terrible at this. Um, but God's really been working on me in the last couple of years in regards to this, um, really trying to stretch me in this area. And I know it could seem for a lot of you that that just saying no is stretching for me, but it is because like Matt said, I'm a people pleaser. Um, and so for me, When I say no, I'm constantly worried about whose feelings am I hurting? Who am I offending? Who am I letting down? Um, Rather than seeing the benefits of saying no. So like I said, God's been working on me the last couple years in this area, and it has created some uncomfortable tension, but some necessary tension in my life. Um, So I thought I'd share a couple times. The first time is a time when I didn't say no, and I should have. And the second time is a time when I did say no, and I was really grateful for it. Um, So the first instance involves um, my son Elijah. So Matt said before that we typically allow our kids to be involved in one thing at a time. Um, So a couple years ago, Elijah had decided he wanted to do soccer. And it was about two weeks into the season and we were like, this isn't gonna be a great season. Uh, The coaching wasn't great, the team itself wasn't great. It was just rough. Um, And about that time, uh, the track coach at school came to him and said, hey, I really want you to run track. And I was like, oh. This is where Elijah excels. He needs to do this. And so I was all in. He's going to run track. This is what we're going to do. And Matt kind of put the brakes on and he said, yeah, but but we say our kids get one thing at a time. And I was like, yeah, but, you know, I don't want to let the coach down and I don't want to let Elijah down and he'll be so good at it. And so we wrestled with it for a little while. And ultimately, I just defaulted to Matt's decision and I said, okay. And so he didn't do it. And I'll tell you, for about a week, I really struggled with that. I felt the the guilt over telling Elijah no and telling the coach no and just knowing the disappointment that was there. But I'll tell you, it lasted for about a week. And then I realized, oh, it was the right decision. Because if we had said yes, like stuff would have been so crazy. Our life would have been so chaotic and I quickly would have regretted it. So it was a really good learning opportunity for me. It was a really good learning opportunity for Elijah to say, you know, 
we had to stick to our original conviction and that there was a reason we did this and that it was what benefited our family as a whole. Um, the second time actually just happened a couple weeks ago. So I, as I get older, am pressing more into and embracing my introvertedness, um, which I think people don't tend to see me that way because Matt is so extroverted that it just kind of comes off as I'm also extroverted. <laughs> But I've come to realize that um, even super fun social functions can drain me. And so um, a couple weeks ago, I got invited to do a girls' night on a Saturday night, and I really wanted to do it. It sounded like a lot of fun. Um, but I looked at our calendar and realized I had something almost every night that week. And I thought, oh, as much fun as it's going to be, I know that it will drain me and that by Sunday night, I will be so tired. And then I'll go to church on Sunday, and I won't be the best I can be. I'll be drained and tired and I just won't be in a good place so I said no and can I tell you that Saturday night came and I was so grateful that I had said no because I felt rested and I was ready for church the next morning and to be on my game um so yeah I was really glad with that decision so in closing I'm a super practical person whenever Matt practices his messages for me at home I'm like okay so what's the practical thing you're going to tell people to do so that they can walk away with like a game plan and so for me I think the big thing is just make sure you're looking at the big picture. Um, like Matt said, when you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. So if you're a list person, like pause before you say yes and think about the things that you're saying no to. Maybe write it down or just make a mental list of the things that, that you're not prioritizing if you say yes to that. Um, and the other one is like in the age of technology, I know it's easy to look at my phone and say, oh, I don't have anything on that day. Um, but it's really benefited me to look at the calendar as a whole, to look at the whole week or to look at the whole month and decide, is this the best thing for me? Is this the best thing for my family? Um, is this going to make me the best leader in the areas that I'm a leader? Um, and for all you people pleasers out there, it does get easier. Um, I'm still not great at it. I'm still working at it. But the times that I have said no, um, I've, I've seen the benefit of that, and so it's getting a little easier every time to say no. Yeah. Why don't you give it up for Leah? <clears throat> yeah, I appreciate her uh, sharing that. I mean, it, it's, it is hard, you know, to, to figure out sometimes what, I don't think it's an easy thing to figure out focus, but man, to, to let God in the process of that and, and really consider our decisions and uh, ultimately strengthen that muscle, man, she's gotten so much better at saying no. Um, so that's important. It's a really important. Uh, so that's point number two, leaning into a life of focus. It takes saying no. Thanks for joining us this week. We pray that you are challenged and blessed by this message and that you find application for it in your life as God leads you through this week. For more information about us, please visit our website at cornerstonevineyard.church.